vision of God's majesty and power from Revelation, a vision of God's glory, majesty, grandeur, and power from Psalm 104. We're going to jump ahead in our series on the parables of Jesus, and so I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and this morning we will be looking at verses 1 through 13. If you remember, in our very first sermon in this series, Jesus said that he teaches in parables to us to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to know, those who are insiders, those who are part of his family, he wants us to know the the nature of the kingdom, the way the kingdom works, how we are to act within the kingdom, and also what the kingdom is going to be like at its future consummation. So they're, they're, they're all about the kingdom of God. And so... As Jesus prepares to be betrayed, as he prepares to be arrested and handed over and go to trial, be beaten, and to carry his cross to Golgotha and to be crucified, this week and next week we're going to look at the last two parables that he teaches his disciples. On the way to fulfilling all that the Old Testament scriptures teach about the Messiah and his suffering... What are the two things that Jesus wants us as his disciples to know as he prepares for his departure from this world? And so we're going to look at Matthew 25, 1 through 13 this morning. Let us pay attention now and give ear to the reading of God's holy word. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and to those who were ready went in with him, and those who were ready went in with him, to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Amen. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, Open up our eyes and our ears that we, may, that we may gain understanding, that we may see rightly your word. Impart to us knowledge and wisdom that we may walk according to what is fitting and right and becoming as your children, children of the kingdom, children who belong to the king and have been adopted into 
his family. We ask this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For those of you who are married, I want you to think back to when you were engaged and had a date set for the wedding. And as that date drew nearer, there was excitement and anticipation, perhaps some nerves and anxiety as well. A similar thing happens when you are expecting a baby. You have an estimated due date, and that day draws ever near. And as it gets closer, there's, there's excitement, there's anticipation, there's, there's nerves and anxiety. If you're not married, the same principle applies with, with high school graduation, college graduation, or, or closing on a house. There was a day on the calendar where something monumental was going to happen. Something was going to change. You were leaving one season or stage of life and entering another season or stage in life. We still have those kinds of days today, do we not? Whether it's counting down to summer break, if you are still in school, or, or going on vacation, or your birthday, or Christmas, we still have days to which we look forward to, and as they draw near, we grow in excitement and anticipation. Time seems to slow down, does it not? As you count down the, the months, the weeks, the days, and the hours, just like it did for those monumental events in the past. But how often do we as Christians think of God having a calendar? And there's a big red circle around a certain hour on a certain day in a certain year. How often do we look forward to the day of Christ? In our parable this morning, Jesus shows us that his second coming, though the exact timing of it is unknown to us, has very real implications for how we live our lives in the present. I'll say that again. Jesus shows us in this parable that his second coming, though the exact timing of it is unknown to us, has very real implications for how we live our lives in the present. And thus, we need to be prepared. So from verses 1 through 4, first let us see that preparedness differentiates between the foolish and the wise. Preparedness differentiates between the foolish and the wise. Jesus likens the coming of the king, Jesus likens his return, the kingdom of heaven, to a wedding ceremony. And there are ten maidens who go out to greet the approaching bridegroom. In the custom of Jesus' day, a bridegroom would leave his, his home with some close friends, think groomsmen, if you will, and he would walk or ride toward the home of his waiting bride. At the bride's home, there would be various ceremonies performed. They would haggle and barter over the, the dowry, the bride price to be paid, and other various ceremonies. And then when night came, there would be a procession through the streets from the bride's house back to the bridegroom's house. And since this happened at night, everyone in the procession was expected to carry a lamp or a torch. If you didn't have a torch and were there in the procession, you were seen, assumed to be a wedding crasher. And so here we have ten 
maidens, a symbol of purity and innocence, who, who outwardly show that they belong in the wedding ceremony and have le- legitimately been invited to the marriage feast because they all have their lamps. Ten virgins who took their lamps, verse 1 says, and went to meet the bridegroom. And yet verses 2 through 4 show that there is a distinction within this group of ten. Five are described as foolish in verse 2, and the other five are described as wise. In terms of Old Testament wisdom, which we have been looking at in Sunday school, five of these maidens are described like those who say there is no God. And the other five are described as those who fear the Lord. Outwardly, they look the same. Ten virgins who have lamps with them, going out to meet the bridegroom. Outwardly, they look the same. But inwardly, there's a vast ocean that separates them. And this separation can be seen in their preparedness or lack thereof. Why are they foolish? Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise maidens... Not only do they have oil in their lamps, but they take extra jars of oil with them. But the foolish have no oil with them. They have lamps, but no extra oil. It's like having a flashlight. It's like going hiking and having a flashlight that has batteries without taking extra batteries with you. What are you going to do if the batteries run down? What are you going to do if something unexpected happens on your hiking trip? It'd be foolish, right, to not take extra batteries with you or extra propane for for your cooking stove. What good does that do to help you? Absolutely no good. Because then if your batteries run out and you don't have extra batteries, you cannot see. It is darkness. These wise and foolish virgins represent true believers and hypocrites. Outwardly, they have the same profession of faith, yet by their actions, their outward external actions, by their preparedness or lack thereof, they demonstrate whether it is wisdom or folly that is in their hearts. Here's how George Whitfield, that, that great preacher of the first great awakening, describes it. Quote, they that were foolish took their lamps of an outward profession. They would go to church say over several manuals of prayers, come perhaps into a field to hear a sermon, give it a collection, and receive the sacrament constantly, nay, oftener than once a month. But then here lay the mistake. They had no oil in their lamps, no principle of grace, no living faith in their hearts, without which, though we should give all our goods to feed the poor and our bodies to be burnt, it would profit us nothing." In short, they were superstitious bigots as to the form, but all the while they were strangers to and, in effect, denied the power of godliness in their hearts. In one word, they never effectually felt the power of the world to come. They thought they might be Christians without so much inward feeling, and therefore, notwithstanding their high pretensions, had only a name of life, end quote. In other words, he's saying it was all external to them. They had a name and a reputation for life, but they didn't have life itself. 
Sounds similar to one of the churches in Revelation, does it not? You have a name and a reputation for being alive, but I know, that, I know your works and that you are dead. It's not good being spiritually dead. No matter how much external, outwardly, you may look like you have life. The foolish virgins are those who do not count the costs of persevering in discipleship. This is what I mean by preparedness. They are those who think they can have Christ as Savior, but don't need Christ as Lord of their lives. There is no true godliness and true life within them. They view salvation as a a one-time event that gives them a get-out-of-hell-free card, but there's no process of of growing in grace. There's no process of daily repentance, of of constantly seeing our need for Christ and the, the daily forgiveness of sins. They are those who stop short of the finish line and do not persevere, which reveals that they never had true faith to begin with because true faith is a faith that perseveres to the end. They may show an outward fear of God on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday they act like the darkened and foolish world of those still trapped in their sins and miseries. They want to hear Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, based on what they have done or not done, rather than based on the finished work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about John chapter 6. Jesus teaches on election. He teaches that he is the bread of life. These are hard sayings. The disciples begin to grumble. And it says, some left. Some turned away from following after Jesus. Preparedness. That persevering in discipleship. That persevering in following Christ. No matter what our external circumstances may be differentiates between the foolish and the wise. Next, from verses 5 through 9, we see preparedness is ready when the time comes. Preparedness is ready when the time comes. The parable continues. They get tired. The bridegroom is delayed. So they, they, begin, to, they begin to nod off. And then it's too much. The, the delay is too long. And so they give in to sleep. But suddenly, at midnight, somebody who has not fallen asleep cries out. A a watch person cries out, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. In the analogy of this parable, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It happens suddenly. Life is going on as normal. It's just an average day, or in this case, night. But then suddenly everything comes to a screeching halt and changes. And in this moment of suddenness, when the maidens are jolted awake from their sleep, we see the wise maidens are able to go out and greet him. All the virgins are jolted from their sleep. Verse 7, all the virgins rose. They all trimmed their lamps. But the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. We're not prepared to meet the bridegroom. But the wise, they have enough oil to replace, to put it back in their torch or their lamp so that the light can keep on burning. The foolish were not ready when the time came because they were not prepared. 
One commentator writes, quote, the foolish virgins expected the bridegroom to come on their schedule, not his, end quote. As Christians, we are called to a blessed hope of a world to come where tears have ended, wars have ceased, death has been thrown into the lake of fire, and sin is no more. And Jesus is going to bring that world with him at his return. Even even now that that world is broken into this world by the, the down payment of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we are being sanctified and we are being prepared to meet our maker and our savior and our Lord and our master and our friend and our elder brother. But hypocrites... Apostates and unbelievers will not be found ready for that new world that Jesus is bringing with him. Why? Because they did not have the Holy Spirit working in them in the present to conform them to the image of Jesus, to make them ready for the heavenly city. This is what sanctification is in the here and now. Being made more and more aware of our sinful flesh and just how far short we fall being enabled by the Holy Spirit to confess our sins and persist in prayer, no matter what our circumstances may be, being enabled to walk in good works towards others, especially those who are of the household of faith. The fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in us now, you and me now, is to make us prepared to go out and meet Jesus at his return whether it's being caught up in the air or the body rising from the grave. Yes, my redemption has come. Yes, my glorified body is here. Yes, my crown of life. Yes, seeing my master face to face, not through a veil dimly. Yes, entering into his eternal joy and rest. Yes. The Spirit of God is making true believers prepared so that they are ready when the time comes. But hypocrites are not truly prepared. They keep up a Christian name and reputation in order to be greeted by by men rather than to be greeted by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are firmly planted in this world and do not truly have the blessed hope of the world to come. They have no concept of being a citizen of a heavenly city and a heavenly kingdom. They are satisfied with this world that is shadowy and passing away. There is no internal hope and expectation that there is a better world coming. We see this throughout scripture. The fool scoffs because of the delay of Jesus' return. Listen to 2 Peter 3.4. They say this, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were just from the beginning of creation. Nothing has changed. Jesus isn't coming back. The world's just going to keep on going on as it always has been. The fool makes fun of those living for the world to come, just like the world mocked Noah while he built the ark until the deluge came upon them suddenly. And then where was their mocking? 
their foolishness led them to their death in God's judgment. Preparedness, discipleship is ready when the time comes. And finally, from verses 10 through 13, we have preparedness will be welcomed. Preparedness will be welcomed. The foolish maidens have to go off and they have to leave the wedding procession. Leave the place where the bridegroom is expected to appear in order to try to buy more oil due to their lack of being prepared. The wise maidens cannot share with them from their preparedness because it can't be shared or transmitted. If they were to share it, there wouldn't be enough for anybody, and then they too would become illegitimate. The grace you and I have received as a gift is not ours to give to others. That right is reserved by God himself. Only he can give saving grace to others. We can proclaim the message. We can testify to his grace and his mercy, but it is only a gift from God himself that he gives to those whom he chooses. And so while they are away, the bridegroom welcomes those who were prepared. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Obviously, this is Jesus welcoming his children into his house of many mansions and welcoming them to sup with him at the marriage feast of the Lamb. From Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The other maidens, the foolish ones, return and find the, the door shut to them. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. They cry out for the door to be opened, but the door has been shut and locked. I do not know you. To know is to be an intimate relationship and friendship with someone. And Jesus says to these foolish maidens, you are pretenders. You may have tried to look like my children on the outside, but inside there was no heart that had been changed by grace. You were whitewashed tombs. Jesus speaks of this earlier in, in the Gospels. Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and perform many works? Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, what horrible words to hear from one who is full of grace and mercy and compassion and goodness and loving kindness. What a sad state that will be for hypocrites on the day of judgment when they finally see their need of grace. I need oil. I need the Holy Spirit. But it is too late. The door has been shut. He will not open it to them. It has been locked against them and they are forever left out. Craig Blomberg comments, quote, If the gates of heaven appear to be locked on the outside, it's because the gates of hell are locked on the inside. They can't get out. You can't go from hell to heaven. There is a vast gulf. If preparedness is welcomed, unpreparedness is rejected by the bridegroom. Matthew Henry points out, quote, The day is coming 
when carnal hypocrites would gladly be found in the condition of true Christians, those who now hate the strictness of religion will at death and judgment wish for the solid comforts of it. Those who care not to live the life yet would die the death of the righteous. The day is coming when those who now look with contempt upon humble contrite saints would gladly get an interest in them and would value those as their best friends and benefactors. End quote. The foolish virgins recognized their need. Hey, I don't have enough oil. Give me some of yours. I need what you have. Lord, Lord, open to us. But the door remains closed in their face. And so Jesus issues a warning at the end of verse, at verse 13, at the end of the parable. And that's, that's the whole point of this parable. Watch therefore, conclusion, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Keep watching. Be prepared, because we do not know when Jesus will return. Carl Henry writes, quote, Today, few of Jesus' demands ring so hollow in modern ears as the injunction to watch for his coming. The reasons for this indifference are not simply the secular erosion of the supernatural. People no longer believe that there's a God or in miracles or anything supernatural. But especially the modern preoccupation with material things. The professing church, even the professing evangelical church, does not yearn for his coming. Because it senses that Christ's return would put an end to its earthly comforts. Preferring life as it is, such believers can hardly commend the Lord's return to others as a living hope. What would Christ's coming be but a disruptive inconvenience? What hope is readily considered blessed if an inclination for earthly comforts and affluence squanders it? The cost of this spiritual watchlessness is loss of kingdom power. For Christ, by the Spirit, challenges the shallow norms of present-day life and behavior and longs to fill us anew each day with the distinctive spiritual virtues. Watchlessness also dims to us the enthroned Christ who rules over the church by the Scriptures and will come to raise the dead, judge men and nations, and establish His universal kingdom. End quote. It's just what we read in Revelation 19. It was a long quote. Basically, Henry says, we don't want Christ to come back because our hearts are filled up with too much of this world. That's part of what sanctification is, is to, to drive love of this world out of us and to work more love and hope of the world to come within us. We've grown comfortable in Babylon and we've settled in and we don't want to return with the, the people from exile back to the promised land. We've grown complacent. Matthew Henry points this out, quote, If it was hard for the disciples to watch with Christ for one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane, how much more is it hard for us to watch for him for an entire age? So what will draw us back? What will draw you and me 
back from our spiritual stupor and slumber and awaken our eyes that have nodded and are drooping so that we are watchful and prepared. Our souls need the spiritual energy drink of the word of God. Specifically, we need the reminder from God's word that the bridegroom demands exclusivity. The bridegroom demands exclusivity. Christ will not suffer us to have a second spouse on the side. You cannot serve God and money. Christ has definitely blessed us believers, especially here in America, with many creature comforts. But Satan twists those so that our sinful flesh turns those gifts into idols. The Israelites left Egypt with a multitude of livestock, And then they built an image of that livestock to worship at Mount Sinai. We are called to have no other gods before the true and living God of Scripture. So God's word is penetrating and it searches our hearts. And we are to search our hearts in light of God's mirror. And we are to pray to God and ask God to use his word and his spirit to search our hearts. To see where we might have turned a blessed gift into a cursed idol. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, move us to repentance of such spiritual stupor and slumber. So we need the reminder from God's word that the bridegroom demands exclusivity. He wants our love exclusively. And yet it's competing with love for this world and the things of this world. We need the reminder from God's word that the bridegroom demands devotion. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me. You will keep my commandments. Just like a husband wants his wife to be devoted to him and love him and express that love to him. And the same thing a wife wants from her husband. So Christ wants our hearts to be devoted to him. To love him and express that love for him. Through good works, through corporate worship. God does not, Christ does not want a cold marriage but in an affectionate marriage. He demands exclusivity. He demands devotion. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Finally, we need the reminder from God's word that the bridegroom demands diligence. The bridegroom demands diligence. Christ calls us as his people to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We are to walk as the wise, not the unwise, according to Ephesians 5.15. We are called to both understand the will of the Lord and to do the will of the Lord, which is summed up in being diligent to love God and to love others. And only those who have been truly converted by the grace and mercy of God can do that. Hypocrites try to be devoted, they try to be diligent in their own strength and power, apart from the enabling of the Holy Spirit. True believers are made and increase in devotion and diligence by the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. There's a famous line in the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where a Christian is about to die in his attempt to prevent the Nazis from finding the Holy Grail, that cup that Jesus supposedly drank from 
when he was dying on the cross. And this, this dying Christian says, my soul is prepared. How's yours? If you're here today and realize you've not cast yourself upon the saving mercy and forgiveness of Christ, if you realize that your life has been a sham and a, and a show and you've had a mask on, it's not too late. Midnight has not arrived yet. Jesus stands ready and willing to forgive any and all who come to him by faith. Christ is your only hope. So turn away from your dead works. Turn away from your unpreparedness. Turn away from your self-deceit. Turn away from your idolatry. Turn away from trusting what you have done or have not done. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is God's promise. And God cannot lie. For us here today who are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, we are to live our lives in the here and now in light of coming eternity and the return of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, how do you want to be found? I want to be found alert and awake. I don't want to be found lulled to sleep by the things of this world, so I've got a battle. I don't want to be found cheating on the bridegroom. I don't want to be found having fallen away from my first love. I don't want to be found entertaining false teaching. I don't want to be found having forgotten the blessed hope for which we wait. I want to be found ready. I want to be found watching. I want to be found prepared. Christ is coming back. It may be beyond our short time here on earth, but he will come back in due time, according to his calendar. And so Jesus calls us to watch. Be prepared. Don't be foolish and found unprepared. Amen and amen.